You are listening to The Industry Edit. Hello and welcome to episode number three of The Industry Edit, hosted by myself, Ezreen Benison. The Industry Edit is a fortnightly podcast that aims to talk to entrepreneurs, creators, industry professionals who fall under the umbrella of diversity. We'll discuss everything from issues to trends and exciting projects, hopefully making for a really interesting and informative listen. Thank you so much for your emails and, you know, your words of advice and also praises which is really nice um I do read every email that you send to me so do keep you know writing to me if you are enjoying the podcast and if this podcast is helping you know one of you or ten of you then the role of and purpose of this podcast is being fulfilled so it's nice when you guys write in and you let me know how the podcast episode has helped you so Yes. Joining me on the podcast this week is my sister, Sarah Benison. Thank you so much for taking the time to record this podcast with me, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I've spoken about you copious times throughout the previous episode, so it's about time we brought you on to the podcast before my references got annoying. Um, so Sarah is a recent graduate graduating with a bachelor's degree in music she has fortunately managed to achieve an internship a paid one in fact through the company slash program creative access i think what creative access are doing to change society and the workplace is an incredible thing and the people using the program are equally incredible and talented which is why we'll be featuring more creators and creative access interns on the pod but today we've got Sarah we'll discuss what it's like being a recent grad the highs and lows of finding a job and redefining our attitudes towards classical music also just a public service announcement if you can hear weird breathing it is not myself nor my sister we have a doggo in the lounge with us so that would be the odd breathing so tell us why you decided to go down the path of music that's a very good question considering i had been planning to study psychology at university until um year 13 so the year before you actually go to university um I suppose the main reason is because I realised that that was a thing I loved and even though people were telling me I wouldn't get a good job or career prospects weren't as great for a degree like psychology or a science, more science degree, so traditional science like physics or maths or chemistry, um, I realised that was the one thing I really enjoyed doing and that I could do for the rest of my life and not get bored, or at least I hope. Um, so that's the main reason I decided to do it. I know that's really interesting because, you know, when we were growing up, you were always the one that got like A stars and A's and, you know, you really seemed to enjoy the sciences and I remember just coming to you and, and I was never, I mean, 
I would always come to you and be like, oh, can you help me with chemistry or can you help me with my physics exam? And you were always there to provide support, which is why when you decided to go into your or kind of choose this path of music, it was really interesting. And when, I guess the question for you is, when did you decide to make that decision to drop the kind of sciences and choose music? Um, well, it's interesting how you say I was kind of the one that was, I guess, good at the sciences or you would come to... I mean, you were. Yeah, but no, it's kind of like I worked hard at it. I wasn't good at it. I did work hard. Okay, I'm not saying you didn't work hard, but like, yeah, I had to put a lot of time into it to get decent grades. If you remember, actually, I got two Bs in my GCSEs. The rest were A's and A-stars. I'm not bragging. That's just fact, by the way. But yeah, I got two Bs and uh, one of them was in maths and the other one was in core science. So, you know not really my strongest subject I know I got an, an A in additional sides but still you know um but it was after AS when I just hated revising for it I really did and I I don't know I guess many other people hate revising for the A levels as well but I swear like just sitting having to sit down and open <laughs> a chemistry book and a biology book and a psychology book was just it was painful, it was actually painful, I was like, oh, I hate this, I have no passion for this at all, and I don't know if you remember actually, but I actually wanted to go to, like, a music college yeah, after um, AS, because I just hated it so much, of course that didn't happen, because reasons, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> mum was kind of just like, you st- you've done your A-levels now, so stick with it, or, you know, you're almost at university, so just, you know, stick with it, and you could do music at uni, but yeah, no, that was kind of the moment I was like, you know what, I don't want to do this for yeah. the rest of my life. Why should I have to do a subject I don't like just because people perceive, like, STEM subjects to be better? And I get it, like, STEM adds so much to the economy and it adds so, like, it's just well-respected, like, medicine, you're saving lives directly. But music adds so much to the economy as well. Like, people don't understand that it's a billion... I want to say billion dollar, but I know in the UK, but billion pound doesn't really ring. But like, <laughs> yeah. It's a really big industry in the UK as well. Um, so yeah, I kind of, that was it. It was after AS, I was like, no way, yeah. never again. I'm not doing this for another year. <laughs> yeah. And the mum told me you're doing it for another year. But I was like, okay, I'll do it for another year. And that's it. I'm not doing psychology at university because it's boring, it's dead. Like, I just had no interest in it. I just, yeah, so... That was, I would say that's the moment after AS. Okay, so, you know, after AS, you went into uni- onto university and you studied music. And then from music, you spent three years um, at university doing it, loving your life. And you have now come out of university and what, where do you go from there? Um, I guess I was kind of in limbo, like every other university student (laughs) who's finished their degree. Um, I did have a few jobs lined up um, to keep me going through the summer, but I I was looking for a permanent job like everyone else, and that was really hard. I was looking for something in the music industry because I, I knew that was what I wanted to do. I didn't want to 
work in a company that wasn't related to music like I didn't have to be a musician like a lot of people think that like once you have a music degree oh you're a musician or you're a composer it didn't have to be something like that but just something so I was exposed to music every day and I was making an impact to that industry that's what I really wanted to do and I remember just um searching on the internet for different job positions and there were very few in the music industry to be honest no shocker so there were quite a few internship opportunities that I saw um popping up but they were either really really like paid minimum wage or they didn't pay at all um and of course those were competitive as well so it was really hard to kind of get my foot in the door in the find a job in the music industry so when or how did you stumble across creative access um i can't actually remember when i stumbled upon creative access um it was definitely before third year i think i was looking for internships to do um during the summer holiday between second and third year and i kind of um stumbled across the website and uh i kind of i bookmarked it i was like okay um, they seem to be doing around like internships that were around three to six months. Um, so I was like, I'll look at this again before the end of uh, my degree. But it wasn't something I could do at the time because obviously my summer holiday wasn't three to six months. Um, so yeah, I just bookmarked it and it was always in the back of my mind that I kept checking the page again to see if what kind of internships they were doing, even though I knew I couldn't ap- apply for them. It just gave me an idea of what I might be able to apply for in the future. So that leads me on to my next question, which is, what is Creative Access? Creative Access is a social enterprise that aims to promote diversity within the creative industries, um, simply put. And I think they do a really good job. So far, they've placed... Uh, I think it's just over 800 interns within the creative industries, oh, wow. which is um, amazing considering when you look at the people who work in the creative industries and then you look at the population of the UK, you can clearly tell that there is a, there isn't diversity within the workplaces. So aside from obtaining an internship through creative access, I have heard you around the house mentioning that, you know, you're going to some other form of training with creative access or you're doing something else. So it seems to me that creative access are providing more than just this platform to obtain a job, but also a platform to network and train. So what else do they kind of put out to their interns? Uh, well, the first thing they do is they hold an induction day for all new interns. Um, and basically, it it's kind of an overview of what your internship should be, what you should be trying to get out of it, how to be a good intern, and um, kind of introduce you to the creative access community. And I think that's a really important point to make, that creative access isn't kind of just like an an agency trying to get you a job and then move on they're actually trying to create a community and kind of build up your confidence to work within the creative industries because I think one thing I took from going to that induction day was that we all kind of 
realised that there wasn't as much diversity as they should be within um, the creative industries. And it was, it was nice to know that it wasn't just us who thought that, that there were statistics that proved it. And there were people who were encouraging us to work within those industries, regardless of it. So um, that's the induction day. But aside from the induction day, Creative Access also hold a series of masterclasses in different areas of the creative industries. So, for example, we've had masterclasses in publishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so publishing, um, theatre, advertising. So, yeah, all sorts of different creative industries, which have been really beneficial because they've kind of opened my eyes to other creative industries that I could take part in not just music if I'm being completely honest music's definitely my passion so that's definitely the one I want to stay in but it's definitely opened my eyes to potential um, work I can do in other creative industries which would use the skills I've learned working in the music industry as well Um, so those are really beneficial as well. So this question is very poignant to the philosophy behind this podcast and will recur every fortnight when we have a guest on the podcast. And this question is, when did you notice that there was a lack of diversity in the music industry? I think really I've always known. Um... Like, people have made comments like, oh, you play the classical guitar, really? Like, why don't you play R&B and jazz? You know, things like that. Or um, I would play the violin and people just, like, they're shocked. They can't believe that I'm, I decided I wanted to play the violin. Um, so they'll just kind of make comments like, why? Why do you play the violin? And it's just like, because I want to, you know? Mm-hmm. But those have kind of really gone over my head. I've never really taken them to heart. I was kind of just like, okay, you're weird. I mean, everyone else is saying what you're saying, but you're still weird. But I think it really kind of hit me when I actually started working in the industry. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoy what I'm doing, but you can just see. It's just, you can't run from it. Like, you're there. (laughs) You're at work, like... It's so blatant. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You You can't make excuses. You can't just be like, oh, well, you know... Um, So yeah, that was definitely when it really hit me. But to be honest, I think before then, when I was at sixth form and I would mention that I played classical guitar, I played the violin, when you get those looks of people being like, really? Or like, oh, I bet she's not really that great. You can kind of just tell. um, People don't expect you to be at a high level when you're playing those instruments. And that's that's not just paranoia. I know some people listening might be like, oh, you know, she's just taking it to extremes or, no, they're not really thinking that, but she just thinks that. But you can tell because, you know, there'll be, there was, I remember in um, sixth form, actually, there was um, a guitar club and there were two of us who played classical guitar. So there was me, obviously, I was one of them, um, a black woman, just in case anyone's confused. And then there was um, another girl, I won't say her name, but she was white, and we both said we played classical guitar, but everyone would kind of go to her for advice, and you could say, oh, they were friends with her, but you're wrong, because no one knew who she was, Um, (laughs) so yeah, it was kind of more like, oh, how do you play this on the classical guitar, like, I'm sure you're really good at it, and she'll be like, oh no, I kind of just started it, and then 
I could, I would just, just to be rude, I would kind of play what they were kind of asking her <laughs> to play. And they'll kind of look at me and be like, kind of those looks of, oh. So you are quite good at this. Yeah. So that's just one example of times I've gotten that. Are there any people of colour or any diverse musicians that you look up to? Because for especially for someone who is growing up and they're like in those developing stages of their teenage years or whatever usually you would look to someone who is like you in the industry to know that you kind of have a place in the industry so did you ever have that person that you kind of look to or would you say that you know for anyone listening if you are wanting to go into classical music or any other industry where it's kind of like taboo or you kind of feel out of place look for someone who is like you so in your case have you been able to do that to kind of give you motivation to carry on uh no if i'm being completely honest um i don't think I've ever seen a person of colour play the classical guitar. Uh, And I think that probably, um, that's kind of, that adds to the problem. Yeah. You know, if people don't see someone of colour playing the classical guitar, then when I say it, they're just going to be like, that's a first, you know. They're not, they're obviously just going to be shocked. So I can't understand the kind of, um, surprised looks I get when I say it to some people um, so yeah simply put no like you know that my first instrument was the violin if you don't count the recorder um, and yeah again with the violin there weren't any uh, people of colour that I looked up to when playing the violin um, you know there were very great white players that I looked up to like um Tasman Little, which um, Chi-Chi mentioned on the previous podcast. She's a really good violinist. Um, Nicola Benedetti is another one. Uh, And as I got older, I started to look up to kind of YouTube violinists, they call them. So that would include like Caitlin Caitlin DeVille and Taylor Davis. I think Caitlin DeVille for me was also was a source of inspiration just because she's African. She grew up in um she grew up in Zambia, um, in uh, southern Africa. And even though she's white, um it, it was kind of like, oh, you know, an African playing the violin. That that was kinda of cool. But she plays pop music. Um and yeah, and Taylor Davis as well. She's a great pop violinist. But yeah, there were no people of colour playing the instruments I would play when I first started to learn them. Today, there are people of colour playing um, classical instruments or traditionally classical instruments on social media that I do follow now. But yeah, when I was learning, there wasn't anyone I looked up to, which I do, which is definitely a problem. I think there needs to be more exposure of classical players, but I also think there needs to be more support from the family to people who are like... Uh, people of colour who are learning uh, these instruments because that's definitely a barrier to um, the exposure of people of colour playing these instruments 
because if their parents won't let them pursue a career in the arts then how will I be able to look up to up to them I just can't um so yeah definitely throughout my childhood didn't didn't have any people or persons of color to look up to you touched on uh at the end there a bit about my next question and it's a massive massive question but you know I wanted to ask you why do you think those who fall under this umbrella of diversity are just not seen in the classical music industry and you touched on parental kind of the lack of parental guidance with the those that want to go into the classical music industry and you know it people kind of look to money and there's a lot of focus on money when it comes to you know the future which I can totally understand because everyone the society we live in you need money and you need funds before you can live comfortably which is so understandable but you also want to do something that you're happy with and that you want to do so when you're pushed in a direction away from what you do in terms of finance or what has the most money yes you can make a return but it's not something that you'll be happy with and this is why I think particularly for us because we've decided to go in completely different directions from what our parents probably wanted us to do. I know my dad wanted me to be a lawyer. Yeah, our our dad wanted us both <laughs> to be lawyers. <laughs> Correction. <laughs> both of us to be a lawyer. Um, and I just mean where, because, you know, a lawyer is not, is not me. It's not really... I don't think I've kind of given any clear indication that I wanted to be a lawyer you know because I used to watch Judge Judy a lot it's like, oh yeah lawyer <laughs> yeah. so you know it's easy for your parents to kind of tell you where to go or what you want to do which is quite sad that they kind of take this power and try to push you because they they do want the best for you but I feel like that's one big error that is stopping diversity especially maybe within the creative industries and if we look at it not making money there's loads of other industries that are not making money so yeah why do those who fall under the umbrella of diversity why are they just not seen in the classical music industry yeah I think that's definitely the main problem that parents don't value the classical music industry or other creative industries if I've been completely honest um I think when my mum our mum signed me up for violin lessons the intention was for it to just be a hobby I don't think she was like oh she's gonna become a great classical violinist Mm. um so it was kind of always encouraged to be just that a hobby like oh you could do it on the side you know you can play with amateur orchestras on the side but that's not going to put food on the table you have to you know work at a stem subject and get a good job and even though mum wasn't as pushy as I'm making her seem like she she didn't say that quite relaxed yeah she never actually directly said you can't be a musician 
but it was kind of I was kind of always gently nudged towards the direction of say um, a psychologist as I've previously mentioned or you know a chemist or something like that something stem related so yeah I definitely think if parents were more open to the idea of their child being a classical musician you'll definitely see more people of colour within the industry and to be honest yeah that's the main reason I think you don't see a lot of um, musicians of colour playing with orchestras that's my main reason I mean I'm not I haven't really been in this industry for long so I can't really um, add much to the conversation but from my personal experience I feel like parents just want you to be a doctor or a lawyer and I've spoken to friends as well who used to sing classically and they've kind of been like oh no um my parents just didn't want me to be an opera singer and you know it's just such a a shame because that's really what they wanted to do they had that talent but it was it was like oh it's kind of it's kind of encouraged within um, I would say the community to not be a musician to do a job that makes as much money as possible like you said and and to be honest I, th- I think it's like that for um, it's kind of like that for all people so all races no matter where you're from but I think it's it's exact like it's exaggerated in um, ethnic minorities and that's why you barely see any ethnic minorities in orchestras or um, any one from an ethnic background playing the classical guitar, uh, just because it's not encouraged as much. Um, Yeah, that's my opinion. I think we also have to ask ourselves, why don't we see class diversity within the music, classical music industry? And I feel that it's because, I mean, you can be any race for this. I know we've been focusing on race because of creative access, but any race this applies to, I feel like, we don't see people who from poorer backgrounds working in these industries because it's predominant like there's a stereotype that oh it's for the rich people that's what rich people do and also because there isn't enough funding um to get people into these um industries you know instrumental lessons are expensive they're really expensive, so that's a reason you don't see as many classical musicians from a working class background, no matter what race you are. Um, and then also in the workplaces, so not just performers, but people working on the administration side, why don't you see more people from a working class background in that aspect? And I feel like that's because um, to kind of get your foot in the door in that in- industry, you have to kind of either do an internship or a work placement, a student placement and um I feel like the majority of these are unpaid which is why I'm so grateful to creative access for giving me this opportunity and getting and being able to get paid as well so bearing all of that in mind I would like to see these organizations these classical music organizations start to pay their work placements their um interns their student placements and maybe open the door for people who couldn't afford to work for free. You know, London's such an expensive city, and I feel like that's kind of the hub for classical music. But, I mean, even if you're not in London, you still deserve to be paid for the work you do. Um, So I feel like that will open the door to everyone, everyone. Everyone's on an even playing field. And then, of course, there is that question of how do you get 
people who are disabled into the classical music industry. Um, and that's something I kind of can't answer because I'm not really sure how. Um, I know that the London Symphony Orchestra uh, do a phenomenal job of engaging with children and adults with learning disabilities. And I also know that the uh, Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra are creating an ensemble full of um, musicians with disabilities. So maybe if something was done more along those lines, but more widespread uh, within the classical music industry, that would be great. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know much about that. So this brings us on to our next section, which when I started this podcast in the very first episode, I didn't know what to call this and I found a name for it. It's called The Muses. So The Muses, uh, to all to all the Greek mythology lovers out there, you will know that the Muses are the nine protectors of literature, arts and science and they're important in Greek mythology and I think that they're still very important in the world that we live in today, especially in our creative world and just ensuring that creativity is still thriving. So, what or who do you turn to when you find you need that creative boost or to reset creatively? I think the only time I really need to turn to someone or something to boost creatively is probably when I'm struggling with my guitar practice or there's a piece that I find really difficult. And I actually go online and I look at YouTubers. So there's this YouTuber called that viola kid that's not his actual name and it's really bad that i don't know his name but if you want to check him out just type that viola kid and he'll come up and he's a really really good violist he um he went to juilliard and so if you're a musician i'm sure you know what juilliard is (laughs) um uh, where he did a master's in viola playing and he posts the most informative videos but also really fun and they're kind of i guess they're uh, something millennials will find um, kind of engaging. Um, so yeah, he posts really cool videos on his YouTube channel and I kind of just watch those and he does a few videos where you can see him practicing, um, which I really enjoy. And you, you kind of realise that people don't just pick up their instrument and sight read every piece they're going to learn. I mean, maybe there are some great players who can do that, but... The majority of people who work as professional music- musicians don't aren't actually capable of doing that. So I feel like when I need that boost to carry on playing the, that guitar piece that was really hard, that's what I do. I think it's also important to note, just for the purposes of this podcast, that um, that viola kid is actually a black violist. And he was the first black um, classical musician that I had stumbled across on the internet so you know if you are listening to this podcast and you want to check out an ethnic minority playing another instrument then yeah that viola kid this is not sponsored yeah this is not sponsored by him (laughs) by the way like he didn't tell me to say this Uh, I don't even know his name but um yeah he's a really good um he's a really great violist so check him out also there's another musician who posts videos on youtube um 
she goes by the name of Just Another Flutist, and once again, I don't know her real name, but check her out, she's amazing, and she posts, um, kind of practice with me videos, or watch me practice, and I don't play the flute, but it's also, it's great to see, uh, her process, and how she gets from A to B, and again, reminds me that you don't have to be perfect the first time you're playing it, you can do things significantly slower than it's written in the music and then build up to it. It just makes me feel more confident. So yeah, um, when I need a creative boost, I kind of just go online and look at people who I find inspiring and are doing well in their field. But also when I need um, a creative boost, say I'm working on a really hard piece. Actually right now, currently I'm working on um, John Williams, the guitarist not the composer, not the Star Wars composer, but if you're a classical guitarist, you know who John Williams is. Um, an amazing, amazing guitarist. Um, I'm working on his arrangement of Paganini's 24th Caprice. So any classical music fan knows um, Paganini's 24th Caprice, originally written for the violin, but the arrangement for it on the classical guitar is extremely hard. Um, bear in mind that this um, is extremely hard to play on the violin, but the arrangement for it on the classical guitar is extremely hard, um, incredibly hard. Uh, it uses techniques that I've rarely had to use, like sweet picking, uh, one of the variations of the theme you have to use sweet picking for, and uh, I've not really done that on the classical guitar. Actually, I've never done that on the classical guitar, so that's really, really hard for me to get my head around. Um, so when I want to take a break from learning such a difficult piece, I will turn to easier pieces that I can play just to kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of relax me. I tend to get stressed out and frustrated when I can't do something straight away. So I'll turn to an easier piece. Uh, for example, um, The Grima by Terega. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly because I don't think I've ever had to say the title of that piece out loud. Um, but that's such a simple piece to play. It's in ternary form and it's uh, really relaxing. Actually, I have my guitar conveniently right next to me. Um, so I'll give you a little sample of it. So that was the A section of Lagrima by Tarega. And yeah, that was a very simple piece that I learned many years ago, but um, it's a piece I turn to quite often if I just need to kind of relax and uh, de-stress and uh, gain a creative boost. Another piece I turn to is Prodigio Tristan by Pujol, which I learned um, a few years ago as well. It's slightly harder than Lagrima, but again, it's a really easy piece to play on the guitar and uh, that helps to me to boost my creativity as well and I'll give you a little sample of that.
so yeah that was Preludio Tristan by Pedro um and yeah my plane is quite sloppy because I haven't warmed up but um uh it's just to give you an idea of the pieces I play when I'm when I need a creative boost uh I won't play all the pieces I play when I need a creative boost because we'll be here all day but yeah those are the pieces and those are the people I turn to when I'm lacking creativity in the show notes I will list all the people that Sarah will listen to when she wants to reset creatively and to kind of get that creative fountain going and you can find all those people in the show notes and if she has any more to give or any specific pieces that she would like they will also be in the show notes and just to round up do you have any tips or advice for anyone who wants to get into the music industry perhaps if they're you know about to graduate or have graduated are in this period of limbo or are you know in the in the office right now oh i would i think the only advice i could give considering i'm so inexperienced um would be to just be persistent and if you really want a career in the music industry you'll make it work somehow and it's not going to be easy in this job climate but it's not going to be easy for any other job to be honest in this really competitive job market so um and I say to those of you who are from a um, black and minority ethnic background to definitely utilize creative access you know there's they are providing so many opportunities and it would be kind of silly not to use them especially the spectrum of creative industries that they cover maybe they have something there for you so definitely check them out i will also put them in the show notes um because you know a lot of people who don't think that they're applicable to use the services actually are so definitely you know apply to become part of the I don't know the creative access squad um so I would like to give a big 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 Thank you to Sarah for taking the time and joining me on the industry edit. It was a pleasure talking to you and, you know, you have been really useful and thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. No, you have been really useful and it's been great to talk to you and get someone who is in the classical music industry you know trying to work their way up from the bottom it makes a change from the episode we had a fortnight ago where we had someone who was on the top and who was very well established in her field so you know two different perspectives for you guys to chew over there um so we will include links to you know whatever sarah's comfortable with sharing with you guys um so you can find her, get in contact with her. So that concludes today's episode. I really hope that you guys listening have enjoyed it. It's kind of a long one, actually. It's been fun to record. Yeah, it definitely has been. And 
But yeah, we are now on iTunes, so I hope that is more convenient for uh, a lot of you. Do subscribe, do rate and review and share it with your friends and families and any musicians or music graduates that you know. This could help somebody. So we are halfway through the first series of the industry edit you may have guessed there are six episodes in this series and we have now reached the halfway mark which has been a fun ride and you know there's more to come but just a heads up in case we disappear after three more episodes you're like where did you go we're taking a break thank you so much for listening please do rate review and subscribe it lets me know how i'm doing and if you do want to get in touch or send me an email or if you would like me to pass on any emails to the guests that are featured on the podcast then you can email me at theindustryedit at hotmail.com and follow us on twitter our twitter is at industryedit see you in a fortnight